Hey everyone, Michelle Seidling here with another episode of Food Experience Unplugged. Today we'll explore how you as a busy parent can pay it forward by teaching your children about food and wellness. Here to help us do that is registered dietitian Jennifer Belanger. This podcast is available on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others, as well as our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform for new content as it becomes available. Please also check out our website at foodexperienceunplugged.com for some free resources as you begin your health journey. Jennifer Belanger, welcome to Food Experience Unplugged. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Oh, well, it is such a pleasure to have you as a registered dietitian who not only helps adults, but also your focus is a lot on children and teens as well. Mm -hmm. So that's very, very unique and much needed in this Mm -hmm. uh, situation in our in our world today. Definitely. They are our future, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Definitely. Well, to get started, will you take a moment and introduce yourself and tell us what brought you to this point in your life and in your career? Sure. So, um, so my name is Jennifer. I live and work in Belchertown, Massachusetts. So it's a little town that many people haven't heard of, but you have Michelle. So that's, that's (laughs) exciting. Um, so yeah, born and raised here. Um, I, so I work with kids and teens now and I see a lot of um, you know, just a lot, a lot of conditions and sort of mental health things and all these things that play into nutrition. I had a very kind of cookie cutter upbringing, I would say. Um, you know, I went to public schools, I had a great childhood, etc. I always assumed, you know, when you start getting into high school and people ask you, what are you going to do going forward? I always assumed I would be a teacher because my mom was a teacher, my cousin was a teacher, and I love educating. So I just figured oh, I'll be a teacher. And it wasn't until my mom actually began seeing a dietitian on her own for her own health journey. And she would come home and tell me all of the awesome stuff that she was learning from this dietitian. And I had no idea that this was even a field that you could go into because we really don't get this education in school, um, in public school. So once I learned about all these things nutrition related, I was hooked. And so this was when I was about 16. I was starting to look at colleges. Um, I had joined a gym. You know, I was really getting into the whole health and fitness um, space. So then I just, I exclusively applied to colleges that had nutrition programs. And I attended undergrad at Framingham State University which is one of the only universities in Massachusetts, at least, that has what they call a coordinated program. So I did my coursework and all my internship experience within four years. So I didn't have to go on and do a whole separate internship or anything. So um, once you complete a program like that, you're eligible to sit for the registered dietitian exam, which is a board exam, just like a nursing board or an MTEL, like an educational type of test. Um, same, same idea that you have to pass in order to use the credential RD after your name, which stands for registered dietitian. Um, so I did that. I was an RD by the time I was 22. Um, so really fast track onto this, into this field. And then I primarily worked in hospitals and rehab settings, mostly with geriatric or adult populations, Um, heavy clinical, it's all, you know, clinical hospital setting. Um, 
And then, so I wanted to work and get my feet wet for a while before I went back for a master's. I knew I wanted to get a master's. So I went back for my master's in 2017 um, at UMass Amherst and finished that up in 2018, planned a wedding in, in between all of that, got a puppy. It was a wild time, but it was all great. Um, so I got my master's and then I think the stars just aligned and I got really lucky um, and a local pediatrician actually reached out to me. I had written an article for, um, or I was interviewed for an article for my local newspaper about childhood obesity. And so I was quoted in that article and a local pediatrician reached out to me and said, hey, you know, I'm always looking for a dietitian to refer my patients to. Are you interested in maybe coming up with some kind of agreement? And I hadn't done pediatrics much before, so it was a little bit nerve wracking, but I'm kind of a go-getter. So I was like, sure, let's, let's do it. Let's figure it out. Um, so that was in probably 2017 or 18. And from then I've been in pediatrics and I've really opened up my private practice, which is run under my name, Jennifer Belander RD. Um, and I take clients from all over, all over Massachusetts, especially with telehealth. Now I can, I see anyone in Massachusetts, um, so it's been, it's been quite a variety and quite a ride to get where I am now, but um, I just moved into my own office space, which is where this interview is being conducted. And um, yeah, so I love my pediatric work and that's really how I got here. Oh, that is fantastic. What an amazing journey. Mm -hmm. I love how you, it kind of spurred, you know, just even your mom's interactions with a nutritionist and dietitian mm -hmm. that yeah. kind of just spurred you along, spurred that learning and desire. It really did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she knows I credit her every time I talk about how I got started, I always credit her. And um, yeah, it was really, it was really because of what she was doing. And I was like, that is so interesting. Like, like, what do you mean that crackers aren't any better than potato chips? What? <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I just, I was hooked from day one. <clears throat> That's fantastic. And what a great opportunity to be working with um, your, the pediatrician down the hall. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's been, it's been so great. The, you know, and, and that's opened doors to um, working with more pediatric offices in my area, which is really awesome. And just getting to know the doctors and getting to know about pediatrics. And it really is a different world than working with the adult and geriatric population, um, especially in the private practice outpatient setting where you're not dealing with sick people. You're not dealing with anyone who's gone through, for the most part, like a traumatic injury or, you know, condition or something like that. So with pediatrics, I feel like I'm really able to transform lives, you know, and, and really set these kids on the right path and their families, which is, is so rewarding at the end of the day. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Now, what, in your work, what challenges are you seeing? Why, why are people, children or, or adults, why are they coming to you? What challenges are you seeing in them? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I get a lot of referrals for kids who are overweight or obese. Um, but I see an equal number of kids probably who are extremely picky, um, not open to trying new foods, maybe have some phobias related to eating new foods. Um, I do get a handful of, or a good handful of patients who are actually underweight. So I see both sides of the spectrum. I see the overweight, overnutrition type of kids, and then I see the underweight, undernutrition type of kids as well. Um, I deal a lot with food allergies. They're so common these days. Um, you know, some kids have multiple food allergies. So that adds an extra challenge when we're trying to figure out what these kids are going to eat and how they're going to meet their nutrient needs. Um, I get a handful of GI issues, kids with 
IBS or other, you know, celiac is more prevalent these days. Um, and also just mental health issues that impact nutritional status as well. Um, there's so much more anxiety and depression in children these days, and it does impact what they eat. So I really see a full gamut of, of different conditions. I've, I see kids with high cholesterol coming in, high blood sugars, athletes, you name it. I get a whole, a whole gamut of, of different types of patients. Wow. And that, that is definitely, uh, it's never a dull moment. It's never <laughs> every day yeah. is different. Every day I wake up being like, what exciting thing is going to happen today? <laughs> so. Oh, yes. Now, basically, a lot of times, especially with working professionals, with working parents, I mean, they're struggling. Some of them are struggling to take care of their own health, much less mm -hmm. trying to take care of their children's health. Mm -hmm. um, what challenges are you seeing in, you know, in with, with regard to mealtime, with regard to making or oppor having opportunities for children to, to eat healthy or to eat a, you know, a variety of, of nutritional things? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the biggest things is definitely time, especially when it comes to family dinners or breakfast is a huge one. Um, the, the whole state of the world has made this a little bit different right now because kids have been home, not really in school since March. Um, but assuming that, you know, let's go back to when kids were in school and it was normal, at least half of the kids that I see say, I don't have time to eat breakfast. And so that's a challenge because I know that, that you know, the research tells us that kids who eat breakfast do better in school. They're less likely to overeat um, later in the day. And that helps with all the portion control issues that parents might be seeing at home. Um, so I'm really an advocate for kids eating breakfast. And I, so I try and really get through to them and the parent that, you know, there is time. There are things that you can make ahead of time and grab and go. Um, you know, there's drinkable yogurts, there's yogurt in the tube, there's bars, not every bar is as great as the next one, we have to be careful with added sugar and um, how much fat and things like that. But there are bars you can grab, you can grab a banana on your way out the door. So I think people have it in their mind that like breakfast needs to be this huge event where it's like, you know, eggs and toast and fresh squeezed juice and all these things. And it doesn't have to be, it can be really simple. Um, so there's that barrier. Lunch is usually usually okay if the kids are eating at school because um, they have the time. But even but even that, I mean, many schools they give you 20 minutes for lunch, um, which is just not enough time, especially for those young young kids who um, are chatterboxes, right? And they spend half their lunch talking and they don't eat their lunch because they're too busy socializing with their friends. So that's a challenge that I see. And then they get starving, they get hangry, if you will, later in the day, and they come home. Um, and they have low blood sugar and they're just grumpy and the parents are like, oh my gosh, we need to get food into you. Um, and then with dinner time, it's a struggle too because of schedules and sports, you know, so-and-so's got to get to soccer practice, so-and-so's got to get to dance class, mom or dad has a meeting or they work late, they don't get home till seven. Um, and family dinners we know are so important for kids growing up um, to have that structure and to have just sort of that security blanket of family time and a time where they can join at the table and sit together and talk about their day and feel supported and comfortable with their family. So when we're not having family dinner, it can add to some of the stress, the anxiety, the, the issues that kids are dealing with. So I think there's barriers all over the place as far as time goes. Um, and another challenge I would say is just parents' own beliefs about food and nutrition. 
um, we are flooded constantly with things from the media, things, you know, headlines um, online, you know, what your, what your neighbor is doing, what your best friend is doing for a diet, so to speak, or whatever. Um, you know, and parents, they get confused because there's just so much out there and so much information out there is just not correct. And then they're pushing these messages and these beliefs about food onto their children. Um, and so that's, that's why I love what I do. I'm like, I feel like I'm a myth buster a lot of the time <laughs> and just trying to help parents understand like, no, that's not true. You can give your kid, you know, ranch dressing and it's not going to be the end of the world, things like that. So, um, so there are definitely barriers, but, but, um, nutrition can be really simple. You just have to, you just have to get back to the basics. Sure. Absolutely. I love that. I love just the, the gamut of options that, that you're sharing with parents as far as the different meals or Mm -hmm. do you, um, do you include meal plans specifically, or do you Mm -hmm. just give, uh, give guidance as far as, as different foods to eat or things of that nature? Yeah, so um, it definitely depends on what my client is looking for. Nutrition is a very individualized field. So um, it's not one size fits all. Everybody who walks out of my office has a little bit of a different focus and some different goals to focus on. Um, I like to, when I have someone come into my office, I like to let have them leave with three big goals that they're going to work on. Um, Because we know we know that changing everything at once is not helpful and is overwhelming and just not sustainable. So I would, I would never have someone, especially a child, come into my office um, and me write them a meal plan saying, okay, you need to eat egg whites for breakfast and salad for lunch and this for dinner and these very specific snacks. I would never do that. So in terms of meal, plan, meal plans like that, I'm really not doing that. Um, and it's, those types of things are hard to follow. And especially, you know, because we live in a world where there's millions of food choices and you can't just stick to one single thing every single day. So I really just, I just do guidance mostly. I, you know, I dangle the carrot and I have them kind of follow, follow where the carrot's going. So, um, as I do goal setting, I leave them with three big goals to work on. And the goals are really simple, you know, um, getting in one more serving of fruit and vegetable every day or swapping out one, uh, sweetened drink with water or something like that. Um, I'm very big on food groups, so I review the five food groups, why they're all important. We go over, um, with a child specifically, we go over all the foods that belong in that food group so that they get an idea of why I'm making the recommendations that I am. It's really important to me that even kids, you know, obviously the two and three-year-olds, I'm more talking with the parents, but even kids, you know, ages five and up, I would say, it's really important to me that they understand kind of why I'm telling them to do the things that I am telling them to do. Um, and not just, Oh, you know, cause that lady said so or something like that. Um, so I do a lot with the food groups, small goal setting, um, and, and really encouraging activity. I talk a lot about physical activity with these kids too, and just simple things that they can be doing. And we're so lucky now there's so much out there for, for getting kids moving. I mean, there's apps, there's YouTube videos, there's, um, you know, I know when my, my niece and nephew were doing school online um, this past school year when, when COVID hit and part of their like gym class was doing like an online yoga sort of thing. So there are tons of ways to get kids moving. So it's a lot of just education with the parents and the child that, you know, there are resources out there to help you and use them. That's what they're there for. Wow, I love that. I love now you're doing not necessarily 
strictly, okay, specific foods, but you're more on the education side as well, just telling them, okay, what are the food groups? What are different foods? More more of an orientation, so to speak, for them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and everybody has different food preferences. And again, I deal with a lot of allergies. So, you know, one food that works well for someone isn't going to work for another person. So I really get, I start every session doing a really in-depth sort of lifestyle assessment, talking about you know, their hobbies, their schedule, what they like to do, um, all of that kind of stuff. And, and with every session I do, we do a full diet recall. Um, I call it a diet recall. It's really a food recall. I, I don't like the word diet. I don't put people on diets. Um, but so, and this is true for my adult clients as well. Um, you know, we do a food recall. So we go through everything that they eat and drink in a typical day. And I get gather information about portion sizes and um, timing of foods and why they're eating those foods so that I can really tailor the recommendations based on what they're already eating. My philosophy is, you know, I want to change as little as possible to get you on a path to better health or to better food choices. I don't want to, I don't want to take away all your favorite foods and tell you, nope, you can't ever eat that again. I would never say that to somebody. So it's really taking what we've got, what they're already eating and just tweaking it and modifying it to something that's going to work better for them. Mm, interesting. I love that. It's just kind of working, working where they're at based exactly. on what, what their knowledge and experiences have been. Exactly. Yeah. I meet them where they're at, you know? And so for example, it, you know, if I have a child come into my office where, um, you know, they're eating sugary cereal for breakfast and they're drinking soda with their lunch and they're snacking all day long, I know that I, my focus isn't going to be to get them to eat salads for lunch every day. You know, my focus is going to be, let's switch out one of those sugary beverages for some water. Um, but then I get clients who come in here who are, you know, my adult clients who are very knowledgeable about nutrition already. Um, you know, they, they, they know the food groups, they know carbs, fat, and protein. They know they need to drink water and they do it all. Um, and they're looking for something really more specific. Maybe they want help with, um, you know, counting the macronutrients, like how many carbohydrates per day, how much protein per day, how much fat per day. So in that situation, I meet that client where they're at in with their needs. And then we go into a whole lot more detail about the more specific foods they should be choosing. That's where I do sort of more of the meal planning, like eat this, this, and this. But for an adult, it's easier to stick to something so rigid versus a child is kind of all over the place. And that's the beauty of kids, right? Like we don't want them to be so structured and so rigid. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I definitely would say I meet the client where they're at um, and go, go from there and set goals based on what they're really looking for. It's not for me, you know, the session isn't for me, it's for them. So I'm going to do whatever I need to do to, to get them to where they want to be. That, that's fantastic. I love your focus on education as well mm -hmm. as, you know, working with, you know, the specific foods or that they need to eat or not eat in some cases. Yeah. That is fantastic. Now, here at Food Experience Unplugged, we talk about a lot of, of food experiences and building your relationship with food. Mm -hmm. How, in your work, how have you seen that food experiences play in building relationships with food, whether you're working with a child or the parent? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so this is a, this is a huge area that I talk about, um, especially, so what comes to mind first is my sort of adolescent girls, but even boys too. So I have seen a fair share of eating disorders in my practice. Um, and so it, it's hard to pinpoint exactly where an eating disorder would come from. 
some children are exposed to this at a really young age, maybe mom or an aunt or a close family member or something had an eating disorder um, and was so focused on body and calories and being thin and all of this. And they were just flooded with that information at such a young age that it really affected their relationship with food. Um, unfortunately, bullying is huge, you know, and, and there is so much more to health than weight. Um, some kids are just meant to be bigger than other kids. Um, it, it's just, it's genetic, it's environmental, it's food related as well, but some kids are just meant to be bigger. Um, you know, and then you get the bullying in there where fr even friends are calling their friends fat or making remarks um, that can really affect a child. And that affects that child's, excuse me, relationship with food. You know, if they think that certain foods are going to contribute to weight gain or make them unhealthy, they're not going to eat them. Um, so there's that aspect of get getting it from family and friends if they're being made fun of and things like that. Um, I actually took, so I knew that this question was going to come up based on our pre, our little pre-assessment. And I actually took a poll of some friends and food experiences that they had as children um, and how that affected their, their, you know, their relationship with food today. And one of the overwhelming responses was that when, when they were forced to eat something as a child, it completely turned them off to that food for the rest of their life. So and this is something that I talk about a lot with parents of young children, especially when I get the parents in here with young kids, you know, between two and six, but even sometimes like up to 11 years old and teenagers. Um, we talk a lot about, okay, if a kid is picky, it meaning that they're not willing to try new foods or they just have no interest in, in new foods, we really want to maintain a low pressure feeding environment which means that you're not, um, you're not gonna tell them, you know, you need to take three bites before you can leave the table, or you need to sit there and finish all your broccoli before you can have dessert. We really wanna keep it low pressure. Um, the research tells us that when we keep meals more low pressure, kids have more control over their own body and what feels good to them. And isn't that what we really want to instill in our children, right? Like listening to your body, knowing what feels good to you and what feels, what doesn't feel good to you. That will transpire into so many other areas of their life that, you know, they're going to need to be able to listen to themselves and their gut instincts and things as they get older. Um, so going back to the poll that I took of my friends, there was this overwhelming response of the people who were forced to eat a certain food as a kid will not touch it now. Um, there was one person who said she would spit her peas into her napkin and then get up and go pretend she had to go to the bathroom so she could flush them. And so I asked her, do you eat peas now? And she said, oh, no. Mm -mm. Um, another person said she was forced to sit at dinner and drink all of her milk. Um, which I know I grew up on milk with dinner. Um, I think a lot of us did. And she was forced to drink her milk. And so now she will not touch milk unless it's with chocolate cake, she said. <laughs> um, same thing with um, green beans. Someone else said, you know, she had to sit there and finish her green beans and now she won't touch them. So when you put a lot of pressure and force on a child to eat a food that they really don't want to eat, it may work in the short term and you might feel a parenting win that night. It's like, oh yes, Johnny ate all his green beans, but long-term he's not going to eat those green beans <laughs> once you can't force him anymore. Um, so, so those kinds of things are what I see in, in building relationships with food. 
Um, there's a great dietitian, um, her name is Ellen Sather. She's sort of the pioneer of um, picky eating and getting children to eat balanced meals. She's, she's just wonderful. Um, and she really kind of came up with the, the, the term, the division of responsibility. So it's the parents, the parents' responsibility to put food on the table um, they decide what is going to be served and when. So it's their job to decide, you know, we're having chicken, rice, and mashed, not mashed potatoes, chicken, rice, and, um, you know, green beans for dinner. Um, and it's their job to put it out at an appropriate dinner time, you know, 530 or whatever. And it's the child's job to eat the food. I see very often lines getting crossed in my practice. So parents think it's their job to put the food out and get their kid to eat it. It is not the parent's job to get the kid to eat. It is the child's job to eat the food. Um, and then, you know, we could go into tons of other um, little nuances here about that. But, but really, the parent's job is to get that food out there, serve healthy choices, foods that they want their kids eating, and it's the child's job to eat. So that's really where the whole low pressure sort of thing comes in. Mm, I love that. I love you're just making or the parent is just making food available and mm -hmm. allowing the child the choice of what foods to eat or how much to eat. Exactly. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Right, right. If all the foods that parents make available are things that they really don't want them eating. You know, I, a lot of times I, I have families in my office saying, um, you know, there's, there's fruit in the house, but all he wants is the, the fruit snacks and the goldfish and the, you know, the chips and the cookies and this and that. And I say, well, it's natural that kids are going to want the more sugary or the more salty foods instead of fruit. Um, and part of the problem is that they're making those um, sort of treat foods too available. So mm -hmm. we need to kind of take a step back and say, well, there's too many options, you know. Um, and so, yeah, when parents start making changes, the kids are a little not happy at first, um, but they get used to it. Parents need to really stay in control. And that's a huge part of proper child feeding is remembering parents are in control. Kids can be in control when they're parents, you know, down the line. <laughs> sure. And so it's a more of a matter of education of both the parent and the child in and mm -hmm. food availability and, and what foods they should Exactly, eat. exactly. So a lot of it is teaching kids, like I said, you know, about the food groups, why they're all important. Um, you know, I one of my catchphrases I would say is we have five food groups for a reason. Um, and we go over, you know, all the, all the benefits of the different food groups. So there's education on the child side in terms of that aspect, but really on the parent side too. I mean, they know the food groups, they know why they're all important. But the parent education is really what foods are coming into the house? Why are there so many options for snacks and things available? What are the barriers to getting healthy meals on the table? And let's try and fix those and figure out how we can get the good meal on the table. Mm, I, I love that. Now, in your, your little survey of your friends, did, mm -hmm. you, uh, did you have any instances where people were not forced to eat a particular food or finish their broccoli or whatever? And, you know, mm -hmm. how did they, uh, how did their relationship with food, I guess, differ mm -hmm. than, than others? Yeah. Well, I can say personally, growing up, I was never forced to finish something that I didn't like. Um, and I think that really affected my own relationship with food. I've had a very healthy relationship with food, I would say pretty much right along. Um, many dietitians have struggled in the past with eating disorders or, you know, unhealthy relationships with food. I fortunately am not one of those dietitians. I really just got into this field because I love it. 
Um, so I was never forced to finish anything on my plate. My parents would encourage me to try the food, you know, if it was something new. And I, I remember in particular one time my mom made this chicken dish that had salsa. I think it was in the crock pot. And I was just kind of like, mm, I don't know about that. Um, she would encourage me to try it, but I wasn't forced to eat it. But they also certainly weren't making me my own separate meal. Like if I refused to eat the meal on the table, they wouldn't make me something else. And I didn't expect that because they never did it. Um, so I think, you know, having those boundaries upheld by my parents where it's, you know, like this is what's for dinner. If you don't like it, don't eat it. But you're not going to get something else. Um, there was usually something on the table I would eat. I was pretty good at vegetables. Um, I would eat the, you know, the starches, no problem. I would drink milk. Um, so, so I think that influenced my relationship with food. Another thing I can think of besides not being forced to eat anything is my mom always made vegetables available. For example, um, if we had you know, friends over and she was making lunch for us, even if the lunch wasn't the healthiest thing, you know, I ate box mac and cheese as a kid. Um, you know, I, I ate some of that processed food that nowadays I'm like, yeah, let's stay away from that. Um, you know, before the mac and cheese was ready, she would put sliced up cucumbers on the table or even, you know, at dinner time while dinner was cooking, my dad would cut up tomatoes and put, um, some salt and pepper on them, which I hated tomatoes growing up. So I didn't eat those, but they were available. And if I was starving and I really wanted something, I could eat that. Um, so looking back and, and really reflecting on my own upbringing around food, I think my parents did a really great job. Um, and, and they didn't restrict sweets. So another huge thing that affects relationship with food is, and this was a big one that came up too on my poll of my friends, the kids that grew up in households where sweets were restricted. So no candy, no cookies, no soda, nothing. Um, now as adults, when they have that type of food in the house, they, they eat it all, you know, in a night or two, because mm -hmm. it's just so tempting. It's like the forbidden fruit, you know, it's there, they've got to eat it, you know, and they've got to eat all of it right now. Um, whereas the people who grow up, and this is backed by research too, there's been studies showing that um, this is true, not just with my friends, but um, across the board, kids who grew up in houses where there were sweets and treats available, um, you know, you were allowed soda once in a while, or, you know, you could have a treat throughout the day, maybe it's after dinner or whatever. <clears throat> um, those kids can live in the house with sweets and not feel like they need to eat them all at once. And I feel lucky that I, I fall in that second, that second category of, you know, we had, we had junk food in the house. We had soda, um, we had cookies. I would bake, my mom would bake, we had sweets. Um, and now I can keep a package of cookies in my house for a month and even forget about them. And then I'll be like, oh yeah, we have cookies. Um, so that's something really important too. It's actually really important that we don't over restrict kids from sweets. So going back to the point that I made before, like, yes, we want to limit the, the variety of all of the sweets and treats and different things in the house so that it's not all that they want to eat, but we don't want to eliminate them completely because what's going to happen if you have no sweets or treats in the house ever, they go to a birthday party or they go to a sleepover at a friend's house. You can bet money that they are going to binge on all the soda and cookies and whatever else they can get their hands on because they can't get it at home. Mm, interesting. I love that example, you know, of what you're sharing with your friends and just the power of memories 
to that mm-hmm. and how that affects your relationship with food and your food choices. Mm-hmm. You know, in some in your your friend's case, they don't they're not going to touch broccoli if they were forced to eat it as a child. But yeah, but just it's like kinda, it's almost it's almost like traumatic, you know, like they they were forced to do something they didn't want to do, so now that they're rebelling sort of thing. <laughs> yes, but thankfully there are a lot of other food options. So if they don't want to eat that, then there yeah. are plenty of other things to help them along. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We're lucky that we live in a, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. We have a lot of different foods available to us. Um, so you're, you're bound to find something helpful that you like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now with the, the parents and the children that you work with, what are some success stories or other examples of how they've really, um, you know, maybe the parents are setting a good example for the children or maybe it's vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's hearing you say vice versa, it's totally true. Um, I find initially what gets families in my office is a parent is worried about their child. They're worried about weight or they're worried about, um, you know, picky eating or whatever it is. And once, once we start changing the types of foods, the child is offered, the parents often come back and say, yeah, we're all eating healthier. And it's so great. I just had, um, I just had a family in with me recently. And one of the struggles they were having is that they don't drink enough water. So we were talking about different ways to make sure that they're getting in plenty of water. And I introduced the idea of fruit infused water, where you get one of those water bottles where you can stick fruit in there and fill it with water and the flavor diffuses. Um, and the, the child didn't really love it that much, but the mother loves it now. And she really hung on to that and she's drinking so much more water than she ever did. Um, so you know, the parents, even though we're doing really simple education, usually with the child, the parents really benefit from it too. Um, you know, and we have to remember that nutrition in the field of science, nutrition is a relatively new science. Um, it's not like chemistry or physics that has been around forever. And the research still is constantly changing. So, um, you know, our parents and my mom will tell me this, you know, when I was in school or when I was a kid, like no one worried about their cholesterol or their their sodium intake or anything like that. Like that just wasn't a worry or a concern. So now that nutrition is such a huge topic and it's something that's such a niche profession, um, the parents really benefit from the education that I do with the children. Um, I've had parents come in, you know, if we're working on the goal of you need to get more fruit into the child. Um, I find that a lot of times it's not that your child doesn't like to eat fruit. It's that they don't they either one are too young to cut it up themselves, right? Or if they're old enough, they just don't want to take the time to prepare it. You know, you think about the steps required to get yourself a snack. You could reach in the cabinet and open up a um, package of fruit snacks and you're done. Great. You think about having an apple. All right, you got to get that apple. You got to wash it. You've got to grab a paper towel. You've got to dry it. Maybe you eat it like that, but many, many kids like their apples cut up. They don't like biting into a full apple. I'm not sure why, (laughs) Um, but then, so they need to get out a plate. They need to get out a knife. They need to cut it up. um, And then they have to like, you know, put the knife over by the sink. It's just a lot more process. So I do find that parents have success when they do a little bit of handholding and cutting up the fruit for the child. Like I was saying, like my parents would put fresh vegetables on the table that got us to eat it. If they had said, hey, there's a cucumber in the fridge, go in there and cut it up and eat it. I'd be like, no way, I'm busy. I'm, you know, I'm doing whatever an 11 year old does. <laughs> um, but, but if you really do a little bit of handholding and just make those healthy foods available 
cut them up, put them out, put them, you have to like stick it right in front of their face. They're a lot more likely to eat those foods. Um, so again, it, it goes back to that division of responsibility, right? Like the parent is in charge of what food is being offered and when. So if you want your kids to eat some cucumbers before dinner, cut them up and put them out. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's simple once you, once you hear that and you're like, huh, yeah, like my kids are more likely to eat strawberries if I wash them and cut the tops off and just put them out. But if I ask them to go in the fridge and get strawberries, they're going to be like, ugh, that's a lot, that's a lot of work, right? <laughs> so, so kids do need some handholding, even the older ones, even the teenagers, they need, they need mom or dad to kind of, to kind of push them in the right direction. As much as we want them to be really independent and just do it themselves, maybe in their 20s, they'll start doing that. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Now, what are some steps that, that parents can take? If they're just kind of getting started in, in trying, to, trying to work mealtime into their schedules, are there, are there some things or steps or tips that, that you would recommend to kind of help both parent and child in their, in their nutrition quest? Yes, absolutely. So the first tip I would say, if, if you're a parent and you've sort of got your own um, ideas about food that may not be the healthiest or the, the most accurate, keep those to yourself. Um, by now, if you have older kids by now, they have probably picked up on how you feel about certain foods, but really try and keep your own thoughts about food to yourself. And that goes even for preferences. Um, I had I had someone in here the other day um, who the child wouldn't eat, doesn't want to eat vegetables because um, his parent says, well, vegetables are garbage. And so when you're hearing a message like that from your most trusted source, right, your parent, you're going to say, oh, dad says vegetables are garbage. So why would I eat them? Mm. Um, and, and, and preferences, you know, growing up, my mom hated mushrooms. So I assumed that I hated mushrooms and I wouldn't touch them. Now I'll eat them. I'm, it's actually something I'm, I'm working on eating more because I know they're really good for me. <laughs> um, but I think, whereas my dad loved mushrooms. So I think if my mom had never said anything about how she felt about mushrooms, I would have ate them no problem. And it just would have been like no big deal. Um, so keeping preferences to yourself, even in, in family dinners, like if there's a vegetable that you don't particularly care for, cook it anyway, because, and just suck it up, be the adult, unless it's an allergy or something that's going to make you physically sick. Of course, I don't want you eating anything like that. But, you know, if you don't love carrots, but you want your kids to eat carrots, you have to just keep the dislike of carrots to yourself and serve them anyway, and put a couple on your plate. And maybe you, maybe you suck it up and just eat a little bite of it, or they may not even know this, that you didn't really eat your carrots, but having them available to your child is super important. Um, so that would be my first tip. My next tip is getting to the table for meals as much as you can. Um, usually dinner time is where people can feasibly do this. If you can do it at breakfast, that's awesome. But I, I talked a lot in the beginning about why dinner time is, um, so, you know, or just family meal time is <clears throat> so important for kids for having that safe place to go after a long day. They can vent about their day. They can talk about things they need to talk about, issues that they are experiencing, whatever. Um, so just getting to the table. And we know that um, when kids eat, in a distracted environment. So if, if kids are eating in the living room or in their playroom and they have toys, they're likely not going to eat as well because they're too focused on playing. 
we really want to keep distractions to a minimum to zero at dinner time or any meal, any meal time. We want to turn off electronics. We want to turn off the TV, no stuffed animals or books at the table. Um, we really want to make meal time focused on meal time. And so if you're a family who is not doing family dinner or family meals at this point, my first thing would be, I don't really care what you're eating. Like if you're eating chicken nuggets and fries, fine, but let's do it together at the table. And then once we get used to being at the table together and getting used to the idea that meals happen as a family, then we can work on the food choices um, to something more helpful. Um, so getting together at the family table and then involving the child in the grocery list and the grocery shopping is a huge step that parents can take to improve healthful eating for their child and for the whole family. Um, I get a lot of people come in my office and you know, the, the mom or dad will rattle off, well, we have this in the house, we have this, we have this. And the child will look at them and be like, I don't like any of that food. Um, and the parent is surprised. They're like, what? Since when? And they're like, since always, I don't eat any of that stuff. And it really, it's eye-opening. I'm like, huh, it's like, it's like I'm a therapist. Like, oh, well, look at that. So we know that you don't like celery or you don't like the yogurts that your mom buys or whatever. Um, so getting your child involved in the grocery list is really helpful for knowing what to buy. And it gives the child some autonomy and a little bit of control over, you know, I want to have, um, I want to have spaghetti one night this week. Okay, let's make spaghetti. I'll put it on the list. What kind of, you know, do you want meatballs with it? Or do you want chicken with it? Or whatever. Um, I recently had someone who she has four sons and a few of them are um, old enough to actually cook or, you know, dream up meals themselves that are healthful <laughs> and or relatively helpful, um, you know, in sort of normal meals. And so what worked for their family is they implemented some, um, you know, each son gets to choose a meal that they cook every night of the week, essentially. So because between all of them, there's six, there's six people, there's two parents and four kids. And then one night they would do takeout, you know, once a week, which is fine. Um, so that really worked for them. So getting the kids involved is, is a huge step parents can take as well. And not just trying to dictate, this is what we're eating because I said so type of mm -hmm. mentality. Yeah. yeah, I love the, the group effort and the group learning experiences mm -hmm. that are taking place. That's yeah. so huge. Yeah, it's so helpful. With a lot of my families, I encourage them. So um, there's, a, there's a, an image, it's called Choose My Plate. And it's what basically what we use now for planning healthy meals and snacks. It's um, we're, we're done with the pyramids. The, pier the food pyramids are not a thing anymore. We use choose my plate. Um, and I encourage families to go online and print out a picture of that plate and stick it on the fridge or stick it at the table so that when they're planning meals or making grocery lists, um, they can refer to that plate and think about all their food groups. And, you know, do we have adequate protein sources? Do we have a good variety of vegetables that we're going to buy, you know, what are we going to pair together? Um, and making that list and going into the grocery store prepared is huge to um, making healthy choices anyway. And you, you know, you never go to the store hungry because you'll buy everything you see that just looks good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So mm -hmm. that's great. We'll, we'll include that, that my plate information in the show notes as well. Yeah, uh, great. It, um, yeah, it's, it's www.choosemyplate.gov. And there's so much good information there, um, not, not just the plate, but even just lots of tools and tips for families to use on that website. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, Jen, how can people get in contact with you? 
Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm trying to really hard to be active on social media. Um, I admit I was not very good about it until the pandemic hit. And then when I had more time, I was like, okay, I'm going to really commit to Facebook and Instagram. So my Facebook page is just my name, Jennifer Belanger, comma, RD. Um, so that's my page. And that's where I post. I do a lot of videos. Um, I post, um, you know, just snack ideas, meal ideas you know, party food ideas, things like that. And then on Instagram, I'm at Jennifer Belanger um, underscore RD. So Jennifer Belanger underscore RD on Instagram. And my website is jenniferbelangerrd.com. And all my contact information can be found there. Um, for people who live in Massachusetts, I can offer telehealth or in-person sessions if anyone's near Belchertown. Um, I'm working on a cookbook, but it is not quite ready yet. Um, it's a, it's a, I do a lot of, I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> so it's something that we are working on. I'm starting to learn about food photography and figuring all of that stuff out. So that will be coming sometime soon. And all that information will be on my website and social media when the time comes. Okay. Wow. That, that's huge. You're involved in so many different activities. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot, but I, but I love it. It keeps me interested and I love doing something sort of different every day. So it's great. I, I love this field. I would never choose anything different. That, that, that's fantastic. I love, I love that you love <laughs> that, that food and nutrition and wellness is a passion for you. It and really, it really, really shows in your work and in your enthusiasm. Thank you. Yes. And I love connecting with people like you who, you know, love food and love this whole field as well. So, so it's been really great to chat with you. Absolutely. Well, we will include all of your contact information in the show notes. And if there are people outside of Massachusetts who, who are in need of uh, dietitian services, is that something that, that do you service uh, others as well? It gets a little tricky with licensing laws because um, I'm only I'm licensed in Massachusetts, but I do have a network of RDs that I know in other states, so I could make referrals. Um, and depending on what the client is looking for as well, I can I can help them. So I would still encourage them to contact me, and then depending on what they're looking for, they could either work with me or I could refer out to to someone else. Okay. Wow. Well, we will uh, make note of that. And that's, that's good to know. And if nothing else, they'll go come to your website for, for all the great information and videos that you have to offer. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of videos on the website. So those are fun. Those are quick little clips about healthy meals, recipes, food safety, you name it. So um, yeah, I, I would love if people check those out. Okay. Well, wonderful. Jen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for all that you do for children, for their parents, for your relationships and partnerships with, with pediatricians and others. You're really making a difference in the, the, the food and wellness world. So we sure appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me and for this great interview. These were great questions. 